Welcome to Event Up, the place where people enthusiastic about events stay in the know on the latest trends within the events industry. Live, hybrid, and virtual experiences. From virtual events to conferences, award galas, and everything in between. Here's your host, Amanda Ma. Hello, welcome to Event Up, the place to get the latest and greatest in event industry news, ideas, and topics. In this episode, we'll be discussing the impact of company culture and how to set up your team for success. Today, I'm joined by Jaya Prasad, previously head of global workplace experience, engagement, and communication with Poshmark. Jaya has over 30, oh, sorry, sorry, I just aged you. Starting that part again, Jaya has over 20 years of experience in corporate workplace strategy, employee experience, large-scale change management, experiential event production, and internal communication. Jaya focuses on designing and executing innovative workplace programs and technology that improves employee productivity, enhancement engagement, build trust, and increase overall company sentiment. And I think in the work space that we are in right now and with the global economy, this is such a relevant topic and that's why we invited Jaya. So thank you for coming to join us today. Thanks, Amanda. Happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you even get started in this industry? Yeah, you know what? I mean, what the one thing that I that I really love is that I've had a lot of opportunities um, that I've just said yes to. And so when you look at sort of my resume and my journey, it might kind of seem like there were several left turns. Um, but in that, the skills are all very similar. And, you know, if anybody takes away one thing from our conversation today, it's that it's that pivoting is not only is not only a skill, but it's essential to sort of reinventing yourself, especially as a woman in this industry. And so I actually started out as a sports reporter in Florida. Um, I went to school for broadcast journalism and started out there. And um, when I realized that, you know, I, I talked to some you know, mentors that I had when I first got my first job in Florida. And a lot of them were 40, 45, 50 saying, you know, this industry of sports reporting is really hard for older women. And when I thought about it, I said, man, I really want my experience to grow and my skills to be more and more um, sort of fruitful and interesting as I get further in my career, not struggle when I get sort of older, right? And so I made a pivot and went, uh, took a job as a PR and marketing intern. You know, similar skills, it's communication, it's writing, it's sort of, you know, building relationships, all the things you have to do in journalism, but in a PR marketing internship, making $125 a week, I sort of said, I'm gonna turn this into my on the streets degree. Um, and I got promoted um, within three or four months to um, leading PR for them and doing all of sort of the media and um, and outreach and and for all of the and that was originally a um, a theater a production company and so what's interesting is that. I was working at a theater doing all the media relations and they said you know what you should do opening nights because the media comes and we need someone to really focus on what that opening night is 
So think about it at a theater, that's the largest event that they do for every single show. That's where the love of events came. I was like, this is how you touch the people. This is how you really make something experiential. This is how you touch on an emotional level, not just by words. This is how you sort of say what you want to say through a flower arrangement, through an invitation, through the experience of being at that event. And that's where that love of events really grew. And I went into working for several companies that do large-scale corporate events, um, 5,000-person galas, 10,000-person conferences. Um, and once I, once I kind of got into that and said, you know, this is really interesting, doing everything from soup to nuts with Ex, you know, expo books and um, figuring out the expo floor and the production and AV for keynote speakers and the food and catering and everything else. Um, I then went to a Fortune 100 com uh, company to lead all of their national events and food service. So kind of like, again, pivoting into something a little bit different, more corporate that, um, that I got to be able to sort of use those skills in. And they were going through, you know, right place, right time. They were going through a transformation um, of transforming their workplace from sort of a stodgy sort of financial institution to a tech company. And they really wanted to change the culture. And that started with the workplaces. So around the country, they changed all of their workplaces, including headquarters, to open spaces with floor to ceiling glass, no, you know, limited offices, um, digital everything, technology forward um, instead of technology lagging. And I got to be on the forefront of that. So I got to design the conference center in the new buildings with the architects, the um, the lobbies, the, you know, every place that people would kind of be milling about and all of the, all of the conference centers. And once I did that, I said, you know, maybe workplace strategy is really where it's at because I got to put myself in the shoes of the employee, the shoes of a guest, the shoes of a board member, the shoes of a C-suite leader, and how they would kind of interact with the building, which, by the way, is very similar to experiential events, right? You walk into a lobby, what do you want people to feel? How do you want them to interact with it? How do you want them to walk away from it? And once I did that, you know, employee engagement really became my next foray. And I led internal comps and I've led engagement ever since in the last several jobs. The biggest takeaway there is sort of being able to parlay your skills for many different different aspects and never really saying no, just sort of jumping in with both feet and saying, yes, I can. And um, trust me, like um, if you do events, you know logistics, you know marketing, you know PR, you know communications, you know engagement. I mean, those are the skills that that you learn just doing you know, sort of any type of event that you can then move into many, many other skills um, and many other jobs. Yeah, I love how you share, you know, a lot of what we do. And there's in our audience, we have a lot of event agencies, event planners, a lot of marketer and PR. So you touch upon everything. Yeah. <laughs> you check all the boxes. But yes. You're right, because there's so many skills are transitional. You know, and sometimes people ask like, well, I want to transition. Is that possible? And, you know, it is. It's just how you leverage it. So I love the examples that you share. <laughs> you know, and it's not even it's not even transitioning. It's also how we I mean, I, I will say 
women coming from a woman's perspective, how we market the skills that we gain. I think sometimes people are like, oh, you're a party planner. And it's like, well, no, I do so much more than that. Right. And I really do a lot of skills that a lot of people are sort of singular in. We as event people do many of them and wear many hats within the same day, within the same hour of managing large scale events. Right. Oh, well, definitely. And, you know, a lot of time, I don't even say we are, I like to think of myself, not an event planner, but really a business leader. I'm Absolutely. a business leader first, right? Every th- events we do are so intentional. Actually, we should, our title should be like chief growth officer for the client <laughs> because the events we do generate sales, generate ROI. So it's very different, but it has to be done right. And I think right. not everybody do it that way. But I, coming back to the whole workplace, like, especially now, you know, after pandemic, some companies are working in person, some are virtual, some are hybrid. How do you create this hybrid workplace environment that honors both parties? And what does that even mean to be hybrid? Yeah. So let's talk about the ones, let's talk about kind of the types of workers that we have in the space today. So you have your fully remote, which everybody understands and gets. You work from home, you don't go to an office, maybe once or twice a year, but you don't really have, you know, an office to go to commute to, quote unquote. You work from your home or you work from whatever that place is that's not a traditional corporate office. Then you have 100% in office, which, um, you know, leading facilities and operations and that kind of thing in in the last several roles that I've had, a lot of the people that work for me are full-time in office. They are the front desk person. They are security folks. They are those sorts of people that run the operations of, of the facility itself. They end up being five days a week in the office. So those two, let's set those aside because those are easy to understand. Basically everything in the middle is called hybrid, which is a little bit insane because it can mean anything, right? And I think hybrid is sort of this catch-all word that people use to relate, like a lot of corporations will say, oh, we are a hybrid organization. And what they essentially mean is that they are flexible in some way. That level of flexibility can be anything from we're mandating four days a week in the office and you can choose the one day that you don't come in or Fridays you don't come in and therefore we're saying hybrid. Um, Or it could be any day, but we want you to be in 24% of the time or, you know, two days a week or so it's really all across the board. And since the pandemic, it's something that companies are really wrestling with because beforehand we did have like work from home days, right? Where people could maybe work from home two or three days a week or something like that. And they called that flexible. Um, but this hybrid thing just still has not been figured out. It, it is not a word that means something consistently across the board. But what I found is that we need to make sure that in any organization that you work in, we understand what the three terms mean, what fully remote means, what in-office means, and then what hybrid means for that organization. And it's a cultural thing. It's a cultural thing that the company has to decide and then align on, which companies are still kind of wrestling with today. And I would say every company is a little bit different. There's no one size fits all. Absolutely. I, you know, I talked to several of my business leaders as well. And I have, I know other business, they're actually 
full-time in-person, which you're thinking, wow, how is that even possible? But you know, when they recruit, they're very intentional. They tell them we're full-time person. And there are those type of people that love to come to the office. It's a yeah. different kind of environment. And then there's the complete opposite where they just change to completely virtual and then even hybrid. I recently yeah. spoke to another events department within an organization and they say they are hybrid, kind of like you said, but they're actually four days in the office, one day virtual, and it happens to be Monday. But then she said, everybody needs to be better about responding on Monday. Otherwise, <laughs> it will no longer be hybrid Mondays. That's right. It's not a weekend, right? It's not like part of your long weekend. It is a work day. Um, I, I think part of the struggle is really understanding the culture of the organization. And I think that a lot of companies are coming to terms with what it means for them. And I think you're absolutely right. If it is, you know, five days a week in the office or even four days a week, saying hybrid does not tell you that. And when people are looking for jobs, when it says hybrid, we all have a different idea about what that means. And I think it's really important to start getting really good at being transparent about that. Um, people have to make life choices. And during the pandemic, people made significant life choices. They moved to different places. They decided different um, decisions for uh, childcare, for elder care, for the things that they need to do to get they, their day done too. That doesn't mean that they're working any less, let's just say an eight hour day, but it might be eight hours split up in different ways. And the organization has to decide whether that is okay for someone to do. And that then starts developing your hybrid um, workplace. Or if that's not okay, then what are the rules and regulations around it and being really, really clear about that? Yeah. And how about, what are some of the best practices as far as like returning to office and some of that might even mean the hybrid, right? Yeah. Instead of yeah. completely virtual. Yeah. I think the first thing is, is that a lot of places, um, I just, you know, came from Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is sort of, you know, um, a place where I think they're really struggling more than other places because there are many tech companies that are saying, we want everyone back all the time, but we'll start with two days and then we'll increase it to three and then we'll go back down to two and then we'll increase it to four. And, you know, all of that change is really hard for people to get behind. And so coming up with a cohesive strategy, and I'm fine with a stair-step strategy of saying, I want to get you back to three days a week in the office. And it, those days include Mondays and Fridays because we don't want you to turn it into a long weekend every time or whatever that structure is, but then stair-stepping it in a way that if you hit you know, version B or version C in the stair step that you are still staying true to the initial idea of we want three days because of X, right? I think what companies are having a hard time with now is saying, we want you back because of productivity. But during the pandemic, we had massive product productivity. We had a lot of people get promotions, get raises. Um, we talked about, you know, company numbers being through the roof, right? And if that's all true, then it's a little disingenuous to say because of productivity, we want you back. Now, 
I'm an advocate for going into the office some amount of time because I think that there is nothing there's nothing that compares to face-to-face -face interaction. There just isn't. Um, I might, Amanda, have scheduled calls with you maybe once a week or, you know, have um, a huddle with my team, you know, daily or, you know, three times a week. But there's nothing like bumping into an engineer that I would never have a scheduled call with who happens to also be in the office and we chat about something in the hallway and we actually resolve it and don't need that to be a meeting. So there are things that are positives about the office that I do think can be under the umbrella of productivity, but it doesn't mean what people, when they first hear that word, think of. It's about the cross-functional kind of um, hallway conversations or water cooler conversations that you have with maybe a friend in legal that I can then just call up because I know, you know, Tammy in legal and I can say, hey, just quick question, sorry, like, and it's not a whole email that I have to introduce myself and, and then schedule a call. You know, there are things that make things work faster. And there's nothing like that face-to-face -face kind of interaction. I agree. And I would say additionally, you know, I remember when I just started in my career, what I learned in the office was so profound, right? Yeah. Listening to the VP, them talking and just like kind of learning the ropes that way. If I was at home doing just, I'm not learning other than when I speak to them or when I go into office, but what I learned there. So actually, even though we're hybrid at our agency, I actually tell everybody, like the entry-level people, this is actually to your benefit. If I yeah. was in your position, I'm just being completely honest, I would be here every day. And this um, is why. You know, what's interesting about that is that um, when I, some of the pivots that I've made in my career have been because I've kind of heard things over the top of desks or, you know, been sitting next to somebody at the lunch table and have learned, oh, that's how comms operates or that's how, you know, that's how the, the, um, the, oper the operations people think, or that's how the architects say X, Y, Z, like, it's really interesting to have kind of that crosstalk or almost like you overheard a thing and you're like, ah, I understand that now, right? And that can be used in so many different contexts. Um, now, I will say this, that for fully remote workers, there are ways that you can help to manufacture these interactions. Um, I do think some of it falls on the manager or people that have been at the company for a while that do have these relationships to introduce new people, younger people, you know, that kind of thing to the broader, you know, folks that might be, that they might not run into because they are fully remote. For instance, we had talent folks, um, in one of my jobs that were across the country. It just made a lot more sense for them to be, uh, you know, live wherever they wanted to. And because of time zone issues of the people that they were hiring. Because of that, they didn't get to come to the full, to the office as much as they probably wanted to. And so it was my role to say, okay, you're a talent folk, but I really want you to meet this person in legal. And just casually, like, 
we're just going to do a lunch. Like we're all going to eat lunch together on a Zoom. And I just want you to meet them. Like they're a cool person to know, blah, blah, blah. And try and help foster those relationships. It's not easy. It takes concerted effort. It's a, it's a scheduled Zoom. You know, it's not a water cooler conversation, but it's a way that leaders can help to uh, encourage those types of cross-functional relationships. I love that. And since we're on that topic, how do leaders influence and shape the culture of an organization? Because I always say it starts from the top. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, you know, I, I think it's two things. I think one is it starts from the top in that the, the culture of a place is uh, everybody is responsible, right? Everybody at a company is responsible for the culture. So let's just say that there, you know, I think having a chief culture, you know, um, officer or something like that is nice by design, but everybody's got to, everybody's got to agree with it. Everybody's got to basically um, say that they agree. I think what's, what's interesting, you're right about leaders leading from the top, but it's about authenticity. So like, let's say for instance, I, I used to work for a sales organization. Most of the people, including the C-suite was like, under 40 or for under 45. So there was a culture of kind of like, we go to happy hours together and we do this together. And it was more like, um, like a, like a fun, you know, young kind of company that where we got into young quote unquote things, like for instance, hashtags were really big at this company. I'm not sure that a company that's median age is like, is 45 or 50, that that, that would have flown, right? And everybody would wear like a hashtag company name on their t-shirt and walk around and, and do this. And then, and then when they went to someone's wedding who happened to work at the company, they would hashtag the company, which was awesome for that company. But that's inauthentic to maybe an older company, maybe a bank, maybe a, you know, a, a utility company. That's not going to be the same culture. So cultures work because leadership is transparent about it, but they're authentic about it. And the employees see that authenticity and buy into it. The buy-in is so important. Yeah. Yeah. For instance... An inauthentic, an inauthentic place would be something where you would say, um, I want to do a pivot. Like we've always been this company and now we're going to be this company and not give anyone a bridge to how you're going to get there. I just want to, that's it. We just want to be a tech company. We just want to be a, you know, open environment when you've always been closed. We just want to be a, you know, transparent environment when you haven't shared decisions. That doesn't work. You've got to be able to say, we're here. And if you want to make a journey to a change, you got to bring people along and make sure that everybody at all levels agrees with it. I love that. And then how do you, you know, I think we, I love the topic of culture and talking about culture. We're big on culture. And I think the company that really thrives is because they got culture right. Yep. You have that buy-in. I think that's super important. How do you measure the impact of culture on an organization's performance and success? I think that's a lot of top leadership, right? Because we're spending dollars be and putting dollars behind it and trying to build this culture. There's some companies that are doing events or bringing in people like, but how do you ultimately measure? Yeah. Um, so I think 
in the last organization I was with, um, they changed their the name of their um, diversity and inclusion department to diversity, inclusion, and belonging. And I think that's such a it's such a modernization of what we thought of diversity and inclusion being because belonging is so important, right? The diversity and inclusion feels very pushed upon you. The belonging feels like, oh, I need to feel a certain way towards that organization too, right? And so in, in that, the thought of belonging is part of the culture. And I think the way that that the way that that happens is you have a C-suite that has decided this is our mission, vision, the employee value proposition, all those things that the HR teams are doing, right? But that it says, it says something that you go to your employees and say, these are our, this is our mission. This is our vision. Do you feel like this is who we are? Like, give us feedback on that. Survey them, right? you know, not death by surveys, but try to at least give a survey twice a year, at least once a year that kind of touches on where employees, how employees feel about the company and where they are in the journey of belonging to the company. And I think that's really critical, right? Because if you say, um, you know, do you understand the company's mission? Yes. Do you understand the company's vision? Yes. Do you buy into it? I think that's the crux of it. But also like you were talking about doing events and having things where, you know, people can come together. While we're talking about people being extremely, you know, um diversified across the country or across the globe, those need to be inclusive as well. So they are inclusive of the remote workers. They are inclusive of your hybrid workers that might not be in on a Wednesday. Um, they are inclusive of, you know, if you have a happy hour, if you do a happy hour every week, those folks with kids or that have, an, have elder care might not be able to join into those. So are they both maybe after work events, but also at work events? Um, are they time zone inclusive? I think those are things that help people really feel like they belong in the organization and that you're really trying. That's the other thing too, is that authenticity of you're trying. It might not always be exactly the right events. That's why you keep asking them. That's why you have an open door conversation about hey, we did a bunch of events, we tried a bunch of things, like which ones did you like, which ones didn't you, and give us ideas and be open to that feedback too. Yeah, I love the survey because then it's truly at the end of the day, like do they appreciate this? Does this make sense? Right. And is this for our company, right? Because I'm sure a lot of leaders say, hey, this worked really well for another business. Let me try this one, but yes. it may not integrate just because the diversity or the demographic at your own company. I mean, even for us, we have different clients that have different demographics. Like you said, there's some clients are, they just have a young crowd right. and there's other ones is different. Like if you just provide wine, they will be so happy. Yes. Yes. And, but also, you know, if you, if you're a company that's like work hard, play hard, those are some type, different type of events. 
if you're a company that's like, you know, we value work-life balance and we value, you know, your family outs, you know, your family and your outside, you know, um, interests, and we want to have a flexible workplace, then the events that you do or the things that you bring people together to collaborate are different than like a work hard, play hard type of environment, right? And so you have to really know like, what is your company culture and what does it stand for? And what are the things that you tell not only recruits, but how do you, you know, what are your HR policies and are they in line with the things that you're then saying, this is how we need to collaborate. This is how we, this is how I want our culture to be. Yeah, that's so good. And I know you champion so many different initiatives. Um, can you just share one example of a successful culture transformation that within the organization and kind of like what strategies did you use to achieve them? Yeah. So the company I was talking about earlier that we went from sort of this stodgy financial institution to more of a tech company, um, we bridged the gap and that was really successful. That's how I know that you can fundamentally change the culture of a company, but you need to stair-step people to that change and through that change. So what do I mean by that? Essentially, um, we wanted to, the, the CEO wanted to be able to compete for talent with Google, Yahoo, whomever. But if you're a financial uh, uh, sort of older institution, that might be a really hard understanding for a 20-something that would much rather work at Google that has the name and the cachet and the Silicon Valley of it all, right? And so how do you do that? So first, you really lean into um, what are we offering people and, and how, do we, how do we make our offerings better? So we looked at, okay, what are we, you know, what are our benefits? What are our flexible work schedules? You know, what are our, what food do we have in the building? What um, bennies are we giving people in that way that are sort of, um, that are not really like benefits per se, but, you know, free ice cream Wednesday, you know, once a month and this other thing, um, you know, once a month, twice a month. Then also, how do you take people from, um, you know, older technology to newer technology, you start incorporating it slowly. So we wanted to have room reservation systems. So we started it in our old buildings first so that people could get the hang of the room reservation system before moving them to a whole new uh, building where they wouldn't know how to use any of the technology, right? If you slowly get people on board with, oh yes, I see why this room reservation system is a better system. Um, it already shows me when it's available, when it's not available. If I jump into here, you know, I know I only have it for two minutes because the next meeting is starting or whatever, you know, the case may be. I think the third thing is that you really listen to feedback along the way and you give yourself the time for that change. So for instance, there were a lot of things that that we changed not only from, you know, floor to ceiling glass, you know, buildings, but we also went from suburban to urban buildings, which meant that people wouldn't have free parking anymore. Uh, they'd have to take the metro or subway. They, that's a complete life shift 
for people, right? And so we started talking about that two years in advance of how you would do it. We took people down to the building. Literally every person went down to the new building and they had to come by Metro or if they were driving to see how much it cost um, to park down downtown so that they could really get a feel for it. We made them come down, have lunch with us downtown, right? We really held their hand through that type of change and that type of transformation. That helped people understand that we are shifting the culture because we were there. We didn't say we're going from A to Z. We said, we're going from A and we're gonna be on the journey to B and then to C and then to D and so on with you. We're gonna take you along with us and we're all gonna do it together. And so on these subway rides, we had C-suite <laughs> executives going on the subway ride too, right? They were eating the lunch, the same lunch everybody else was eating. They were doing the things and walking through the same thing everybody else was, not in an egalitarian way, but in a way that says, I got to do this too. Like I've got to figure it out for myself and I'm here with you and, and we're going to do it together. Did the company also pay for the parking downtown? Nope. Because you want people to take the Metro. Well, there wasn't, I mean, parking's really, really expensive. So part of it was, you know, we can't afford to pay for, you know, to, you know, 10,000 people or whatever to, the park, right? So some of it was, it's just not going to be something we're going to pay for. Um, that rang true also with, um, we had emergency daycare and we had to um, kind of farm that to a national company. One, because emergency daycare was only available in one of our locations. So it was not equal amongst all of our locations nationally, but then also because that company was not in the business of daycare. So why are we, why do we have a daycare? Why are we spending square footage on a daycare? Why are we hiring daycare employees? Like it's not our business, right? And so those things are, are important to know, but things like an emergency daycare are extremely emotional for people, right? It has to do with their children. It has to do with their family. And so you treat that type of change differently than you treat, say, the parking, right? The parking is something, okay, I can make you do it. I can make you come downtown. I can make you take the subway. I can make you give you a you know subway card. I can make you do all those things. Getting away or closing our daycare was an emotional thing that we had then had to go to people and tug on the emotional heartstrings and really understand that people wanted to be a part of the closing of the emergency daycare. They wanted to, you know, they wanted to be able to donate all of the furniture that was there. They just wanted to be a part of it because when things touch kids and family, it's a different thing than say some, you know, we're changing your benefits, right? It's a different thing. So definitely very different. It's more intimate for sure. Parking right. versus where my children go. Right. Where my child goes. Yeah, for sure. We care a little bit more about the children. <laughs> exactly. For some people, there's some people yes, that, <laughs> yes, yes. This is such great insights. You know, I, I feel like we could chat all day. I do want to, one of my favorite questions to ask on these episodes and asking all the leadership that I get to bring and speak to is how do you practice self-care? 
Yeah, self-care. Um, so I, you know, in my in my 20s and probably early 30s, um, I, I spent a lot of time waiting for friends or family to travel, right? I didn't want to go by myself. And I spent a lot of time kind of like, oh, this person doesn't have time off. Oh, this person can't afford it right now. Oh, this. And so it was sort of like disappointment in not being able to travel as much as I wanted to. When I got into my 30s, I learned about a lot of um, a lot of travel companies out there that um, don't charge single folks or, or people traveling solo more, which there used to be kind of a solo tax um, on, on, you know, group travel. If you would join a group, you know, because you're a single person, you have to pay double because it's a double room. There are a lot of companies out there that don't charge you that. Once I found that, it was on. I said, you know, if people want to come with me, great. But there are tour groups that are, you know, my demographic, my age that I can travel wherever I want to in the world. It's safe. They figured it out, right? They do all the transportation and, and the hotels. But like you can go kind of anywhere you want and you don't have to wait for people to do that. Now, I do a lot of travel. And so I do have that family travel, but I still have my fun solo ones that I do. Once I learned that it changed my world, right? That like, I don't have to wait to go to Colombia if nobody else can, or I don't have to wait to go to Morocco if nobody else can. Um, so that was a big, that's a big self-care thing for me because it's about rejuvenation. It's about putting my mind and my brain to something else for a few days and coming back refreshed, open-minded with a different perspective on things. So that's, that is the one way I treat myself. Oh, I love that. That's so fantastic. So you, you, I'm sure you've been to so many places because of that, you know, you're yes. not waiting around for people, but you're just seizing the opportunity. Exactly. And yeah. even now, you know, I have a lot more friends that do want to and, and love to travel. And so I do those too. I just yeah. uh, work out the vacations so that I can make it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and by the way, Amanda, if you go on Google, you can figure out um, how to make your PTO, you know, how many days of PTO work around your three day weekends and everything that you get with the holiday schedule. Every people do it every year on Google. You can figure out how to maximize the PTO you get plus holidays. It's it's a fantastic thing. Yeah. And now that we have, you know, all these AI tools, I literally <laughs> just heard yesterday, like you could punch in on chat GPT say, I have three, you know, a week plan and I'm going to Paris, plan out itinerary for me. And I am, you know, 20 years old yep. with, you know, going with another friend, right? And yep. we like outdoor and like the more specific you are with the prompt, the better result you'll get. And then here you go. And it's like a free travel agent. And I just thought that was so smart because it takes so a lot cool. of time to plan. You know, AI is really good at that, but I will tell you um, earlier this year, I went to Madrid by myself. Well, I went to uh, Spain by myself um, and I did Madrid, Sevilla and Barcelona. And I am very proud to say that I did the entire trip from TikTok. 
So I just entered in what, you know, things to do in Madrid and a bunch of TikToks came up and then I picked the ones that I wanted to do. And some of them were hidden gems that you would never find anywhere and probably aren't even on a website. And a lot of them were just travel tips about, you know, going to um, one of the Gaudi houses and, you know, use a tour guide for this one, but you don't need one for this one. And, and that kind of thing it was awesome. Really cool. AI is amazing too, though. That's good. No, but literally just this morning when I was listening to the news, they say more and more people, instead of like going to Google, they're actually punching in Instagram or TikTok or <laughs> yep. both to listen to, to get advice and recommendation, exactly yes. like what you mentioned. So yep. that's awesome. And as we're wrapping up the session, any additional advice that you would like to share with the audience? Yeah. I mean, I said at the beginning, just to reiterate, you know, one of the things that that has kind of like worked in my favor throughout my career is really, you know, a little bit of it is right place, right time, but most of it is just not saying no. Um, being able to take up something, even if I'm scared of it, even if I am worried that, oh, I might not know how to do it. Um, never saying no, just jumping in, um, being able to use our extremely transferable skills as logistics people, event people, comms people, whatever type of person you think you are, don't box, your, box yourself in, really come out of, of that box as often as you can and say, you know what, I'm going to raise my hand to do this thing. And like you were, like we were just talking about, there's so many tools out there, AI, TikTok, Instagram, that show you how to, if you don't know how to do that pivot table on Excel, you can learn it. If you don't know how to, you know, do a logistics report, you can do it. If you don't know how to build a survey, you can do it using YouTube, AI, any of these things that really will help you build confidence, raise your hand, get the job, get the promotion, move on to things that you are interested in and not be afraid. Great advice. Really, really good advice. What is the best way for the audience to get in touch with you, Jaya? Ooh, I love that. And I love connecting with people um, across the industry. So please find me at JADC on LinkedIn and um, love taking messages, open to messages, um, love hearing from young people just getting started in their careers um, and people that are looking for a pivot. And then also people that are interested in engagement, change management, internal comms, you know, workplace strategy, anything we've talked about today. That's incredible. You're obviously a master of your craft. So we're so grateful that you can come and join us today and share all your wisdom with us. Thanks so much. Attention all corporate visionaries and business leaders. Are you ready to elevate your events to new heights and leave a lasting impression on your audience? Look no further than the dynamic team here at Innovate Marketing Group, your partners in unforgettable corporate experiences. At Innovate Marketing Group, we understand that every event is an important opportunity to showcase your brand's essence and foster meaningful connections. Whether it is a product launch, conference, an influencer marketing event, company retreat, company anniversary, or an exclusive executive summit, we got the expertise to make it a big success. Visit our website at innovatemkg.com and explore our track record of excellence. Check out some of our portfolio. Witness how we have transformed ordinary gatherings into extraordinary milestones. Step two, reach out to our team of expert event strategists by dialing 
1626-817-9588. Let's discuss your objectives and aspirations for your upcoming event. Sit back and relax as we design tailor-made event plan that aligns seamlessly with your brand's identity and resonates with your audience. Watch and awe as your event unfolds flawlessly, leaving your audience inspired, engaged, and eager for more. But wait, there's more. For a limited time, we're offering a complimentary event assessment for the first 10 callers, an exclusive opportunity to unlock the full potential of your next corporate gathering. So seize the opportunity to make your mark in the corporate world. Let Innovate Marketing Group be your strategic ally in creating events that drive success and leave a lasting impact. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to crafting a memorable event experience with you. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time on Event Up.